Hey, and welcome to Circle Talk, everybody, a podcast for seekers, initiates, and the curious by four Alexandrian witches with endless opinions. We are your hosts. Hi, I'm G, a high priestess and coven leader from the Boston area of Massachusetts. Hi, I'm Josie, a high priestess and coven leader outside of Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Hi, I'm James, a high priest and coven leader from just outside of New Orleans, Louisiana. And I'm Peter, a high priest and a coven leader in South Wales. Uh, so welcome, everybody. Um, we just want to remind you that we are a podcast that talks about Alexandrian witchcraft and general BTW issues um, from our various opinions. Uh, we just want to remind you as well that we only speak for ourselves and for our personal practices and wider current practices uh, that we're in. Um, it's almost impossible for us to speak for the tradition just in and of itself. Um, this is episode four. If this is your first episode, uh, welcome. You might want to pause right here and go back to episode zero zero, which is our introductions, and listen to episode one, which is our definitions. Um, so welcome again, everybody. So today we are discussing vouching and its importance to the wider BTW culture. Uh, but before we get into that, I just really want to quickly talk about um, how we know each other and how we distinguish from um, general members of the public. So there are traditions that have um, influenced our tradition as Alexander Wichbath, but also BTW, um, such as traditions which have secret handshakes or passcodes. Um, within secret and mystery traditions, it is a way of those members knowing whether you are a member or not. Does anybody want to quickly jump in on this before we get into the main body of today's conversation? Secret societies and mystery traditions have always known that there has to be a way for people to recognize each other, to recognize other members of that tradition or other initiates or whatever their system was. And so, as you said, Peter, this is like a handshake or like a passcode. And I just think it's for us, it's that vouching system. And I'm, I'm very curious, like, who, if that arose naturally or if like organically or if that was, you know, sort of intentional as opposed to one of these other systems, um, which is not a question that I don't think that we're planning on addressing here, but I like, you know, this is what we do instead of having a secret handshake. On the plus side, you can't look up a you can't like, you can look up a secret handshake, right? Or a secret passcode if somebody publishes it on the internet. But the vouching system, I think, offers a smidge more protection. Those things are only as good as the integrity of the, mm -hmm. the individuals who kept it. Yeah, the vouching system that we'll talk about um, doesn't rely on passcodes or secret handshakes. It's, it's more to do with high priesthood and, and, and initiates speaking to each other, but we will get into that. So great. Let's high five. Let's get on the broom and witches, let's go. So let's just dive straight in. What, what is vouching? What is vouching? So for me, vouching is the system where initiates can contact each other and ensure that somebody who's claiming to be something actually is what they claim to be with that there's there's a, there's a lot of terminology that we're going to discuss uh during this uh discussion as well during this podcast and two of those are vouching and uh legitimacy so does anybody want to jump in before i just take over the whole show yeah so so vouching to me is very specific it means a little bit more than just confirming legitimacy it's mm -hmm. It's a statement of two things that the person is 
properly prepared. They've undergone our rights of initiation in a way in which we recognize. And they're a proper person, meaning I can speak towards their character and their ethics. And if both of these don't occur, I can't give a vouch. So it's very specific uh, for me. But as long as we're, we're on it, it's, it's also very subjective. It's a flawed system that has a lot of room in it for interpretation. And so I don't particularly like the system, but it's the best system I think that we can come up with with our decentralized uh, organization. I mean, I know some earlier American Gardenarians attempted to set up like a database system of mm-hmm. you have to contact certain uh, individuals and send them initiate names, yada, yada, yada. But that, that, that defeats the purpose of the way we're set up and it doesn't work and right. no one does it. So vouching is kind of it. I'm just imagining like an Excel spreadsheet document, <laughs> which is not what we want. <laughs> no, it's no. very large. Um, I think it'd be important now to sort of talk about how vouching works before we mm-hmm. launch into it. Um, so my understanding, and please jump in if you have opinions, which I know you will. Um, <laughs> my understanding is with vouching, if you want to know whether somebody is legitimate, you can contact known legitimate initiates and ask for a vouch. You're well within your rights to do this. If I am approached by somebody saying they're an initiate, I will go off and ask for a vouch from somebody I know to make sure that they're legitimate. Um, I know that it's becoming more and more common for seekers to do this as well about covens that they're approaching and things like that. And the reason it's done is, like James said, it's to just make sure somebody is who they say they are because, unfortunately, not everybody is. And I think that's an important distinction as well, isn't it? It's not, nowadays, it's not just for initiates. It's not just for the in-club. It's also for seekers. And I think sometimes it's more important for seekers to be able to ask for vouchers because, like, we're already in it. And and if if we hear that somebody is claiming to be something that they're not, we can just kind of ignore them. But Mm -hmm. if a seeker doesn't know that and they don't know that this kind of vouching system is in place, they they could be, uh, they could be led to the wrong people, you know, Mm -hmm what you know we, we we don't know what could happen but um but yeah i think it's really good that, that a lot of seekers are now starting to ask for um a vouch for, for different groups i think that's the I, way to go i kind of think like one of the good things about vouching unfortunately like i think this is a little bit of the ideal situation and it doesn't always work out this way but i think we've talked before about coven autonomy and just this idea that like every coven is autonomous in and of itself we don't have a central organized body covens can do you know, what they want within the tradition, within like a certain set of limits, but they're very few. And as a result, coven autonomy can be abused, right? Covens, autonomous covens can choose to do things that other covens or other people might think are wrong or suspicious or red flags. And so I do think the vouching system, in terms of the piece that James was talking about, like with the recommending or being proper people who are like good trustworthy people offers seekers some protection in that way and i feel like that's really the the best use of it the best outcome for it is not just like yes they are offering like what would be considered a legitimate 
um, Alexandrian training. But also, as far as we know, like we're recommending good people to trustworthy people to you. Um, right. It's it's our confirmation of the social contract of within the tradition. You know, uh, to harken back to what we were talking about last episode, but oaths and how it's kind of a social contract. Well, this vouching is also being able to say, I can, I, I can tell you for sure these people uphold the social contract of Alexandrian witches. They're not abusers. You don't have to worry about this. They're good people, so on and so forth. So it's really, as you said, a form of protection and one of the only ways in which we can exercise ethical control or standards over our peers who are autonomous is by vouching. It's really one of the few ways that a seeker can know what they're getting into and be protected. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not a perfect system like you talked about, right? Because people do have their own agendas. There's uh, inter and intralineage like politics, but we don't have we don't have much else. And I feel like it's, it feels like a step up from like online dating, right? Like it almost feels like it's like slightly closer to when your friends set you up with somebody and it's like, okay, at least this person's coming with like some recommendations that they're probably not a serial killer, right? Like at least this coven is coming with some recommendations that they're probably not going to like murder me. (laughs) They're probably not, you know, full of, full of power hungry people or, you know, um, some of the concerns that people have when they join covens. No, well, I was just going to say, I like the distinction that um, a lot of you guys are making with uh, vouching and confirming and recommending and linking all that to being um, a proper person because I've not really thought about it a lot. I've just I've just taken it on face value for, for most of the part that if a voucher is provided, then um, those people or that coven are proper people. And they have been confirmed. But I like all the all the distinctions and the, the nuances between the the definitions i think i'm going to adopt this i know we're going to dig into it a bit more you know in a moment but it, it, the distinctions are important to me um because words have meaning and i'm when i'm providing a vouch i'm backing it with my own sense of integrity and honor right and right if you're going to be made of gold and be worth more than than lead it's based in what you do and your character because that's all you have. Mm-hmm. None of the rest of it goes with us. Yeah. Before we wander too far into that vocabulary, it might be useful because we've tossed around a couple times proper person and properly prepared to sort of explain where that term comes from and say as much about it as we can. Yeah, so so there's this, this four piece and they stand for a proper person that is properly prepared. Um, and for me... We've all we've touched upon it for me really, but for me it is that this person has gone through the initiation rite. Um, they've you know they've had done to them what 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 we do to them during during an initiation rite, and that is um, a common experience that every initiate has within the Alexandrian tradition and and the Gardnerian tradition as well. But yeah, I I, I like the fact that James mentioned earlier that. It is also that, you know, this is a good person. They are a proper person, not just having gone through the initiation rites. But, you know, they're good, for, for lack of a better, better word. Josie, what do you think? I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think 
I want to know, like as an initiate, meeting other initiates, I want to know that they're a proper person and properly prepared because I need to know yeah. that they have had that same experience that I have, that they've taken that same step into the unknown effectively. Right. And that is what really brings us together as initiates uh, and, and lets us talk about, about these things. It's what brought the four of us together, for example. Yeah. <laughs> Properly prepared. I know we mentioned it's having gone through initiation, but it's shared experience mm-hmm. of initiation and the knowledge that the initiation that they went through contained all the proper elements. Additions are great, but it at minimum had the hallmarks of initiation as the Alexandrian tradition sees it. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, you can say, I know this person has had the experience that we all share. And as, as we briefly mentioned previously, practice begets belief. So we have the common well mm. as a result of this practice. This might be its like own episode at some point, but I'm just because you're saying that, and I do think like we we spend time or like we're putting forward effort in emphasizing how different different covens can be within the same tradition. And like you know, one of the few things that one absolutely links us together is the initiation ritual. Even if stuff been added has been added to it, there are key fundamental pieces, right? And that can seem like a really small thing, I think, to people who aren't in it. Like, why just this one, why just this one ritual? Like, why the emphasis on these particular, on this particular practice? And I think, you know, shared experience within a culture is like the most fundamental part of being a culture. Even like in pedagogy, we talk about um, how important it is to create shared experiences for students when they're learning. Right, if that students don't have the same shared experience to draw on, trying to get them to the same understanding of content is really difficult. And I think it's similar. Like if we don't have the same shared experience to draw on in terms of initiation, the same shared energy to tap into, then like yes, that doesn't seem like it's a lot to hold us together as a tradition, but that's what we have and it's been doing it for it's been doing a good job of holding us together as a tradition for a while. But and that's I think that's the properly prepared mm-hmm. side of the statement and the the proper person that's that's really where the subjectivity comes to because when we discuss ethics and morality and what makes a good outstanding proper person that's going to vary so so much across the tradition that what few rifts i see or arguments i see you know, within the tradition that people and gripes they have with each other, it all comes down to they have a different idea of what this means than than I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it all comes back to um, back to standards, maybe. And I and I think that's the that's the teacher speaking inside of me, just like G was talking about the the common experience. I I just wanted to quickly go back to that. Um, so and also for me with the common experience of of the initiation, um, it's quite common here in Wales or in the UK for people to so for other initiates to guest during um, an initiation ceremony, which means that there's that extra voucher as well. 
it's not just what's happened within this coven. Somebody else from another coven can be like, oh, yeah, they are PPPP because of XYZ as well. And they can also give um, a vouch. So that is, it's like an independent vouch for us. So, so to clarify that, because I do think that brings up, like, what do we mean when we say about sometimes what people mean when they say, yes, I can vouch for this person. Is I was at their initiation or I've been yeah. in a circle with this person, with another group of initiates who I know, and therefore I can confirm that they have been initiated. Sometimes what we're saying is, like, I talked to person A who talked to person B who talked to person C. And I'm definitely sure about A and B, and B confirms C, and therefore I can tell you for sure that person D is a valid person, right? Because <laughs> we can't all be with circle in circle with each other like all the time, right? So some of some of it is um, like yes, I have seen it with my own eyes, and some of it is like just like we follow the chain, like we hook up to the network and do some talking until we find somebody who has who has been that or who does know for sure um, and use that as the sort of that vouch that that coming back to that language of like that confirmation that like yes they are legitimate i i think it's worth um yeah maybe unpacking that a little bit for for seekers and the curious um there is that network with that we can always rely on wiccans talk i used to call it the wiccan phone tree but i think it's more than that now <laughs> <laughs> with the advent like of from, the internet like from practical magic i love it <laughs> it is like from practical magic. I love like that. the phone tree <laughs> and i guess it used to be like you could you could get a vouch for somebody by by ringing up a, a, and asking somebody who would ring and ring and ring um so you could get a vouch within 24 hours to the two days um now you can get a vouch in a few minutes you know you ask somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody yeah so it's worth remembering that most of the initiates talk to one another in some way or another. Mm. Right. Especially considering we have our, we have initiate only groups across multiple social media platforms. Uh, we have initiate and seeker groups for the same reason. And it may be behind scenes. It may not be, but you ask for a vouch and there's very quickly answers coming, whether it's someone who's like, yeah, I can, I can vouch or you get a whole lot of people with big question marks going, we have no clue who this person is. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a reason the terms fraudinarian and Alexander not exist. I love Alexandria not. <laughs> I, um, which, which has happened, which has happened within the community yeah. more than once in, in both mm -hmm. Alexandrian and Gardnerian communities, you know, and people sometimes claim to be what they're not. And, and like Josie was saying, it used to take two days. Now it takes two minutes. You know, and we can quite quickly determine who isn't and who isn't part of of the Wicca. Let me put a quick caveat on that and say that if it does take you slightly longer, don't let that necessarily panic. Seekers who are looking for a vouch, you know, if you seek a vouch and it takes a few days for people to get back to you or even a week, um, it can take a little bit of time, especially in the U.S., because we are geographically very large and there are a lot of different covens sort of like all over the place. Um, occasionally somebody will ask for a vouch from somebody from say like the UK. And a lot of times in the UK, they don't know what's going on in the Alexandrian lines in the U S and vice versa. And so then they have to reach out to somebody in the U S who might have to reach out to like four or more people to try and figure out like who knows that dude in, you know, Oregon or Florida or whatever. So it just, it can take some time and that's, that's perfectly reasonable. That's just the number of people that you have to sort of sometimes go through because we are wider spread. 
more steps on the phone tree. Yes, more steps on the phone tree. <laughs> well, and it's also how how involved the individual you're seeking a vouch for is. Mm, some of my gotcha. some of the initiates in my my first coven, I know they're initiates, and I don't see that they're very active in the community at large. And because that coven is no longer around, they don't really practice a lot in a traditional sense. They're still Alexandrians. I I can confirm and vouch for them. But if they waited another 15, 20 years before deciding to get reinvolved, there's a limited pool of people who can, who can vouch for them. And this happens as well. Um, I recently saw a vouch get asked for from someone who hadn't practiced since the late 70s. Right. And eventually it came around that, yes, they, they were an initiate. And, well, how do we get them reinvolved with who? Because it's been 50 years, 40 years, right. somewhere around there. But, yeah, it does. It takes time to track people down sometimes, and that's reasonable. Okay, so we've, we've thrown around the words vouching, confirming, and recommending quite often, but let's just drill down into those and what they mean to each of us. And James, I want to hear from you first because you seem like you have your opinions formed and I'm sat here listening <laughs> to everybody else. I'm like, oh yes, that sounds interesting. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> well, it's, it's like I said, it's, they're very specific to me. V- vouching is the dual statement and I can't always give a vouch, although someone may be a legitimate initiate. And I might not be able to give a vouch because I don't know them personally, so I can't speak to their character. So instead, I can say something like, I know them to be a valid initiate, but I can't speak to their character. So I can't give a vouch. However, if you're interested in a vouch, check out this initiates and seekers group over here. Hopefully we'll post it in the show notes and they can go look for someone who can actually provide that vouch. But it could also be, perhaps it's someone who's a known problem. Someone we know to have moral ambiguity or they're abusers or we know that I wouldn't recommend someone go to them ever. Well, I can't give a vouch for them either. So if I'm asked that, I have have to carefully mind my wording because I Mm -hmm. don't want to downplay the fact that I know they were properly brought in. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it needs to be understood that I'm not, I'm not talking bad about this person, but you need to steer clear. I cannot vouch for them. Although I can sit here and say, I know that they hold lineage and practice within the Alexandrian tradition. Um, Yeah. You can, you yeah, can this, confirm. Yes, I can confirm. I can be like, you are. And th- yeah. this conversation comes up with, with seekers uh, occasionally in the area because I go to a coffee meet fairly regularly and I'll get asked, hey, what do you think about this particular initiate or this particular coven? And then you, you have to speak to it. Right. So, so beyond just being able to confirm or vouch, it becomes more complicated. And I think the reasons on why you cannot give a vouch for people whom 
are legitimate initiates. You know, I know in the Alexander tradition, we don't ridicule. Um, for those who aren't familiar, that's the process of uninitiating someone, which I don't think you can do. Can't see what's been seen. Can't unexperience what's been experienced. But what about someone who's disavowed themselves? I don't have an answer for that. Because if they've disavowed themselves before the, the community or the gods or publicly, then how can I vouch for them if they've sat their oath to the side? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have an answer for that, but I don't think it's either a vouch or a confirmation. It's you've, you've seen behind the curtain, but in my book, you can't come back behind the curtain because you've said it's not worth holding. And to clarify for listeners, when you say disavow, you mean somebody who's like repudiated their initiation. Yes. Who has is, who is chosen to step away or said, like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not this anymore. Well, not, not necessarily someone who's, I don't know, stepped back from the tradition, but someone who has straight up said, I quit. Mm-hmm. I no longer hold to the tradition or my oaths. Mm-hmm. That's a very different situation than someone who's just like, all right, I need to take sure. a break. Right, right. Because they're right. still an initiate. They're just not active. And that's, that's right. cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't go away just because you're not you're not using it, you know. Um, but that's different from saying explicitly. Yes, I get that totally. I do think like this, you know, and this is uh, maybe of more interest specifically to our initiate listeners because it's something like I've had to be in my bonnet about for a while, which is the, you know, the vouching system. I really appreciate it. I think it's super important. I also think it's flawed for the reasons we've discussed that it can be subjective when it comes to the part about recommending people when it comes to the part about if they're proper people. And I am occasionally concerned because I worry about whether or not we can guarantee that we're going to be able to direct seekers away from people who could potentially be dangerous. I mean, there's no way for me to even know if there's a, if there's an Alexandrian company out there doing something like mildly illegal. I'd like to think that that's not true. But for all I know, it could be, or like, you know, immoral behavior or, you know, what we would not consider proper. I'd like to think that that's not true. I also know that, you know, humans are humans and it's quite possible. We have no way of like, as a body, we don't have an effective way of censoring people. You know, and that's for good. That's why we like the autonomy thing. And it it is also like what makes the, it's a weakness in the vouching system because we can't guarantee that we're able to direct people away from dangerous or there's, there's no people. there's no professional code of ethics right that you get with professional organizations right so when you talk when we talk about proper people we're really talking about like proper to me like what i think is a good person you know and i think everybody thinks that what they think is a good person is the correct definition of a good person which gets a little tricky it's both the best and the worst side of autonomy i guess is mm-hmm. that you have it's left for you to decide Mm-hmm. What's proper? Yes. So my my first high priest said that witches vote with their feet, mm-hmm. and I cannot stress that enough. If if everyone around you an asshole, you might be the asshole. And when a, you're a seeker and you're looking at the community at large, is telling you, "Hey, there's a problem here. Pay attention." I know I already plugged it once, but I can't plug the seekers group enough. And folks should check it out. 
because I think it's set up in such a way that seekers can safely and anonymously reach out to moderators to not only get a vouch, but ensure that when they do get a vouch, it's through a group of initiates with varied opinions and you get more of a consensus on that proper person piece. Yeah, we'll include uh, the Facebook links to the Ghanaian and Alexandrian Wicker Seekers and Initiates pages in the show notes. So if anybody does want to get a vouch, whether you're initiates or or seekers, um, like James just said, you can you can ask anonymously in both of those groups and get get a vouch from from the admins. There, there's also a Discord that we could probably post as well for those who don't Facebook. I did. I was not aware there was a Discord. That's new to me. So with that all said, then um, I know we've we've spoken about if an initiate is authentic or or legitimate. What are our opinions on the the differences between what is authentic and what is legitimate? Because I think for me, authenticity means that they have gone through that again that common experience, that experience that all of us have gone through, which isn't necessarily the same as being being legitimate. You know, what are they passing? What are they passing to to their new initiates? What are they passing on to their students? Isn't necessarily authentic. And, and, and I don't see the two words being the same. I think it's also worth mentioning that, like, there can be whole lines sometimes that you come across, um, unfortunately, that aren't necessarily legitimate. And, yes, their experiences are authentic and their experiences are valid, but mm. for me, legitimacy is that the line is legitimate, i.e. can be uh, traced back to Sanders or Gardner in the case of Gardnerians. Mm-hmm. Right. And that doesn't make what they practice any less authentic or definitely not. valid to them as individuals. And they can definitely have deep spiritual meaning. Mm-hmm. And we recognize that. But the, the clear, traceable lineage of passing the tradition down the line may not exist. And that's legitimacy for me. I think it brings off the interesting question as well as how far from the tree can you stray? before it no longer looks like an apple and now you're hairs. Oh, this is another whole episode. It is. It kind of begs the question, like, do you mean how far off the tree can you wander in terms of practice or how far off the tree in terms of, like, degrees removed or question marks, right? Because there's still, there are question marks. Most lines have a question mark here or there. But, yeah, so which one do you mean, James, in terms of, like, differences in practice? I mean, I think it's, I think, I think it's a bit of both is mm. how, how much can you can you stretch the outer limits of the, the boundaries before what you're doing is something different. Mm. I have a base idea for myself, and I think it just comes down to whether or not they've changed or gotten rid of core material. Mm. And I would need to you know really focus on that a bit more, but I know there's an entire line in the, the U.S. in regards to Gardnerians who... They made some huge changes and then declared themselves a separate tradition. The rest of the gardeners are like, all right, cool. Yeah, go, go do your thing because you, you don't look like us anymore. And that's cool. They're still authentic, but they um, aren't legitimate anymore. Going back to what G said about the, the question marks, there's a saying um, in Wiccan circles around here that is everybody's got a bullshit artist somewhere in their upline. 
And I think that's I think that's very true. And that's where like knowing your craft history or at least seeking a vouch from somebody who does can come in really handy sometimes. Mm-hmm. I like the old cool. you can you can add but don't subtract. Mm, I was definitely. just going to say exactly the same thing, James. You can add, but don't subtract. But then if there are more additions that outweigh what that commonality is, I think for me, that's that's too far removed from the tree. That's too much of a change. I'm not saying that an initiation has to look exactly the same from coven to coven, from tradition to tradition, from country to country. But yeah, you know, it's nice that that every coven has autonomy and that they can add their own spin on an initiation. But I think when the changes outweigh what the original is, for me, that's, that's too far removed. Um, add but don't subtract is also our second reference to the movie The Birdcage for those of you playing at home. Yeah, <laughs> Excellent. yeah it, is, it is interesting. I think, um, you know, my, my family, my coven line in particular, feels like they're a bit the initiation ritual is what it is and we add some flowery language and some we we zhuzh it up some parts of it there are other things like the way that the sabbaths are celebrated in the book that we've really chose to like zhuzh up a lot because we're like like, uh, we want to do it different it kind of comes back to that idea of like what's core core material which i think you know especially if you're talking about btw gardenarian alexandrian brings us back to the initiation as like the core core material that's going to vary so much depending on the time period where your upline comes from. Because mm-hmm. as as Alexandrians, we're all about innovation and experimentation, mm-hmm. and that includes our our predecessors. Alex didn't stop Alexing up his form of Wicca, and so mm-hmm. his his version of what it looked like in the early seventies and then what it looked like in the eighties before he passed are are very different, and everything in between, and so. Some people got some of the material, but not all of the material, depending on what time period you interacted with him or those downline from him. And a lot of that leads into why we're so varied and different across all our, not just lines, but each individual coven, because as you know, a new coven leader who's getting our, our coven material up and running, I, I really have to look at it and see how it fits into. The, the local landscape, the seasons, and tie it into the place. Because for me, my witchcraft is very, very location-based. And it would look very different if I was in the Pacific Northwest versus the Deep South, just because they're different places. And so I think a lot of that happens too. You know, a uh, coven in South Africa is going to be different than Australia. And that's okay, so long as they hit what we collectively recognize as the minimum benchmarks for it to be the practice. Mm-hmm. Which, unfortunately for our seeker listeners, we can't really go into, but, you know... While we have a vouching system. Yeah. We have a vouching system, and I think that's really the best we can do, because part of why we can't go into it is because I don't, I don't think that you would get a hundred percent agreement on a minimum set of benchmarks and so, no, um, and no yet not somehow the vouching system works so just... that would that would be too easy mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be too easy for initiates to get all initiates in one room a, a checklist somebody with a little yes. checkboard you know but that that yeah. makes a danger of of a checklist mm-hmm. now we're excluding people who are who have authentic and legitimate practice 
Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, because of Alex's propensity towards innovation and a progressive attitude, I do think that we tend to, I tend to be more open-minded about how people have innovated their Alexandrian practice, you know, provided that the core belief or the core practice, whatever that core material is, remains. I give a lot of room for people who have integrated various kinds of things. You know, it's not at all unusual for people to integrate different kinds of occult or ceremonial practices into their Alexandrian into their Alexandrian practice. It's not at all unusual for covens to change up the sabbats, um, as we discussed in our last episode. So, you know, I do think that that is a good thing as well as a bad, right? That's the beauty of it. Our gods love diversity. You know, any any problems that exist because of that doesn't come from the gods. It comes from initiates. The gods don't care. Now for a Star Trek reference, we can say infinite diversity and infinite combinations. <laughs> Josie's excited, but you can't see it. <laughs> for our listeners, you can't see this, but Josie is just punching the air. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to say that I voted that this be a Wicca Star Trek crossover uh, podcast <laughs> and was shouted down, but it came very close. <laughs> <laughs> so we've spoken a lot so far about um, what vouching is and what we use vouching for. Um, but also there's two sides of the same coin. And um, there are things that vouching is not and also what vouching is not used for. Um, so let's just let's just discuss that as well. Josie, do you want to kick off? Yeah, I think it's really important to mention that vouching can be really, really handy for seekers just to make sure somebody is who they say they are and all these sorts of things. Um, but it's certainly not for just finding out if somebody's an initiate or not because you're curious um as as a non-initiate yeah. it's not always appropriate to be to be seeking that out um proper it, it, it's not really proper it's it's not good manners it's you see a bit of this kind of guess the witch kind of happening or you see um, people trying to figure out who's come from where and what lines and all of these things these are things that you'll be exposed to if slash when you're initiated before then, it doesn't really matter because it has nothing to do with your craft. Even as an initiate, sometimes it's bad manners to do this. So like, I know um, there's, you know, a relatively well-known author who, when you read his books, oh, maybe I mentioned in this one episode, like Terry Pratchett, right? Like Terry Pratchett, reading Terry Pratchett's books, I'm like, he's gotta be one of us. Like, he's got to be, but I would never. And I've seen people, like, sort of drop hints, question mark, does anybody know? And, like, nobody's really come out and said one way or the other, and I think that's just fine. And I think it would be bad manners to, like, try and dig further into something that he went to some trouble to keep secret, you know what I mean? Like, in that case, vouching also feels like it's nosiness to me, like, just because you want to know that somebody that you like is also in your club, and that's a little unnecessary. There's also the issue of when it is appropriate to out or not out your fellow initiates to who. So if I don't have explicit permission from you, I might not be able to vouch for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are times when I may encounter a seeker and I know there's a BTW coven close to them. And I think it's always cool to play the guy who can kind of hook them up with each other. But before mm-hmm. I tell the initiate that, yeah, yeah, here's their contact information. I'm going to pump the brakes because I need to reach out to their priesthood and be like, Hey, can, can I out you? Can I send someone your direction? And 
that can definitely slow down the vouching process too. Because what if they're like, no, well, sorry, full stop. I'm not going to go against this person's wishes. And that's such a valid point. Um, <laughs> you're perfect within, within your rights to remain well and truly in the broom closet as an initiate. I know initiates who don't advertise. And, yeah, you would never out anybody without their express um, their enthusiastic consent. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think that that comes up as often as, I mean, as June said, like, yes, if somebody local is looking for a coven and you happen to know of one, you know, we do check in. But generally speaking, you know, people are looking for covens because those covens have advertised themselves in some way, you know, or have mentioned that they're looking. Yes. But it is a a, a thing to consider when providing a vouch, because what if they are just identity digging? I don't want to be complacent in assisting that process along because it's... That person's right to remain private, and I will stand by my fellow initiate in that right all day. And I think that's the difficulty, isn't it? If they make contact with us and we know of a, of a coven in their area, I suppose we've got to kind of gauge as well as, as first contact how, how legitimate, <laughs> to use a word that we've used quite often this conversation, how legitimate is the, do we feel that this seeker is quite often if, if, if somebody asks me something, I'll just have a little click of their profile and see what's going on. And if, if it looks dodgy, I'm like, mm, maybe not. I did, I did recently have a seeker come my way who came with a vouch of their own from a previous company they'd like worked with and then they had moved. And I was like, oh, this is so nice. Right? It comes back to that, like your friend setting you up on a date instead of online dating thing. It's like, oh, how lovely to have somebody like, be like yes I know this person yes they circled with us a couple of times yes they're super cool um I never ran into any issues like oh, okay like cool I don't mind inviting them into my home in that case whereas a lot of times like we're sort of like yeah you seem okay let me check your profile let's get a cup of coffee first see what's up um so it, it's you know secrets if you can get your own vouch like that's probably a big ask but it is nice you know on both sides of that coin you hit on Something that I want to I want to poke it a little bit that please, dear seekers, remember we are inviting people into our homes, and it's not just for your safety; it's also for ours because we don't know you any more than you know us, mm. and so that's why you'll often meet with a coven several times prior to ever going to the covenstead. That's because mm. usually covensteads at our our home. Once you're in, if you want to leave for, for whatever reason, if you want to leave the coven, then that's, that's fine. That's fine. But it should be difficult to get into because James makes a valid point. You know, not all of our families are witches. Not all of our fam- family members that live in the same household as us are members of the coven or members of other covens. So we could be introducing people um, into our homes with our partners, wives, husbands, children, you know, we have a duty of care to, to them, first and foremost. Yeah, for for, the, for our listeners, my cat has just decided to <laughs> crawl across everywhere, so I do apologize. <laughs> but we also have a duty to our fellow coven mates. Yes. Yeah. Right. And their safety and protection, mm-hmm. um, in addition to our own, mm-hmm. and the consideration of, of the seeker, who really doesn't know when they're getting into, so trust mm-hmm. has to be... Built and fostered 
on both ends. And that's that's an important part of vouching. Which is why there'll be many, many meetups, many informal meetups as well, before somebody's invited to the Covenstead or to um, a cover member's house. You know, that's right. that's just how it works. Yeah, it's not all about secrets and private. Well, it is about privacy, but it's not all about secrets or keeping things hidden or gatekeeping or stay away. It's it's more than that. It's I don't know who you are, random person off the internet. Yeah. Are you mopping my floor for? <laughs> or shaving my legs. <laughs> Josie, what was you going to say? You was about to say something then. I had a point. It's gone. I'm just thinking about your legs, Peter. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> Having people in your house protecting <laughs> seekers, meeting um, up in coffee shops. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think that's where all those red flags sort of come into play and and, and there are a, a lot of pagan, pagan bloggers and other podcasts have, have done stuff on red flags and things to look out for for a coven and, and one of the one of the red flags is if somebody invites you over straight away to their home um it's not always necessarily a red flag but it's certainly something i guess being wary of um because they might have different ideas about privacy to you or maybe just not enough ideas about privacy different ideas of boundaries and yeah. respect of boundaries. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I think if somebody, if um, if a coven leader invites you into their home right off the bat, they might they might just be a really friendly person. They might be they might be ulterior to uh, ulterior. That's not a word, is there? No, ulterior motives. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> they might also um, be in a pandemic, right? Yeah. Which in the beginning at least really limited our ability to meet people in public places for a little while. So we used Zoom or other, you know, whatever. I was going to say, I wonder how many of us moved with the times and, and held like meetups or like informal interviews on Zoom. It's all situational. You know, one one of my first uh, covens as an adult, and it wasn't a BTW coven, but it was a closed practice in a Shatori coven. They ran an outer court in their home monthly at minimum sometimes twice a month um so they were very used to and accepting to the fact that some random person may just show up but it was open to everyone and that's very different than i guess what some of what we're talking about or thinking about so it's really discretion needs to be taken on well yeah you're invited to their home but what what does that entail is it just you and them is it you and 40 other random people from across the state there's there's more to it, and it's got to be thought about. But I know before I invite seekers to come to the Covenstead, I kind of want to know who they are a bit, and I want them to know who I am and meet some of the other Coven members, etc. I think that's why as a seeker it can be confronting because um, when you approach a group, you may be asked sort of questions. You may even be given a questionnaire mm-hmm. um, or asked questions like, have you worked with anybody else? Can they give a vouch for you? Mm-hmm. Um, what is your experience working with groups and all of these mm-hmm. things? And it's just, it's not just box checking, as you say. It's 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 a safety thing, definitely. And it goes both ways. It's not about being elitist or or bourgeois or any of those things. It's safety and and protection, mm-hmm. not just for us but everyone. Mm-hmm.
And again, I think I've said this in previous episodes, but an initiate of Alexandrian craft doesn't make you a better person in any other sphere of life. It does, it's not something you can lord over other people. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything outside the context of our craft. You know, telling someone I'm I'm an initiate, okay, cool, if you say so, doesn't mean a lot outside of the context of our craft. It's not, and I do think that attitude exists out there, and I think you know that's another reason why we wanted to do that pod, this podcast because we do love what we do, we do love the Alexandrian tradition, but we're not, um, we don't think that it's better than other people's traditions or eclectic with or other people's practices. We just think it's better for us, and that's why we do it. Yes. My personal practice is deeply fulfilling and eclectic in its own way, but in group practice, I have found that BTW, in particular the Alexandrian tradition, is what works best for me in a group context. In fact, I think we're kind of talking about that next episode. Is Probably. Why, why, yeah, why covens? I think that was what we were throwing That's around. So, so yay, lead in. Coming soon to a podcast near you. But don't hold us accountable if we are. Uh, you might change your mind. Uh, the, we changed the episode and where you're like, hey, let's talk about black cats or something. So we spoke earlier uh, briefly about where seekers, um, but also initiates as well, can get can get vouchers. Um, but do we just want to talk really briefly um, a little bit more in depth about where where seekers can get um, where seekers can get initiates, where seekers can get vouchers, where other initiates can get vouchers? Well, seekers can get initiates from covens. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's where we that's where we keep them. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be worth also mentioning sort of just how, like, practically how a vouch works, too. Um, if for people who've never done one before, like where you'd start, you would tend to use these groups, and we're going to put some links in our show notes. That's probably where seekers can find these initiates. <laughs> and generally, this looks like uh, a polite message. It can be a private message to an initiate. Politely introduce yourself. Have a reason for asking for this vouch as well. And all things going well, this person should be able to look into this for you or find somebody who can. Right. And, and so- don't just hit random initiates up. The, the groups are set up so that you can reach out to the moderators whom we... Right all know are initiates that are willing to go through the voucher process for seekers. And if you're not sure of protocol, just post a message saying, hey, I'm I'm looking at getting a vouch. Who do I talk to? And Mm -hmm. someone will get with you. It's definitely come up like the question is before, how do you know where the end of that line is? Is a vouch for initiate on their own? But in regards to the Facebook groups and the Discord group as well, the moderators of those groups are vouched for by many other initiates. It's sort of like the way that it's been set up. They're well-known enough. So if they're a moderator of those groups, you can assume that they are a vouched for lineage initiate of specific groups that we're going to link for, which is the Alexandrian Wicca Seekers and Initiates page, the Gardnerian Wicca Seekers and Initiates page um, on Facebook. And then on the Discord, I forget the name, but we'll... I think it's just British traditional witchcraft, but we can put the link in the show notes. Um, in the context of the two Facebook groups, so like you wouldn't necessarily ask me, an Australian, for a vouch for somebody over in Massachusetts. Um, I certainly know some good people there, but, you know, you might check 
those kind of lists to find mm -hmm. somebody more local. It's also important to recognize that this isn't the totality of all initiates or available covens because not everyone's going to be in these groups or listed. And so they're just because you're looking for a coven local to you and there's not one there doesn't mean there isn't actually a coven down the road from you. Also, it might be prudent to, to remember as a seeker that if there are individuals who you know in your area that are big name Alexandrians and they're not listed, why aren't they in the seekers group? And you should probably ask for a voucher for them to find out why, what's going on, what, there's more of a story there. So use and leverage the group to your own benefit and safety. That's a good point. I've got um, a practical tip as well for everybody who does use Facebook Messenger to contact um, potential covens or, or potential coven leaders. Sometimes if you're not their friends, it goes into the spam folder. And sometimes people don't get a notification that there's a message waiting for them in the spam folder. Um, this has happened a, a few times where seekers have sent a message, it's gone into a spam folder. My only tip there would, would to be maybe put, um, put a, a public post up saying, hey, Peter, I've messaged you after looking at the coven listings in XYZ group. Um, not sure where it's gone into your spam folder, just a friendly hello. And, and that will that will get somebody's attention just in case that they miss it in their spam folder because it happens. And right. then we don't want the seekers thinking, oh, then they've seen it, but they're not responding. But it also goes back to what James was saying earlier, that it might take it might take a, a, a day or two, you know, as witches, we also have lives. We also have jobs. You know, just a little bit of patience goes a long way. But if it's been like, I don't know, a week, maybe just maybe just drop a public post. Yes. And if a group is listed, it's with their recognition that they are open to being contacted by seekers. So it is okay to do these things. You know, so right. for, exa for, for example, my coven's not posted at the moment, and we're not posted at the moment because we're not entertaining seekers yet. When that change happens, we will definitely update these lists. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean that I haven't had seekers reach out to us, but we have to have that real conversation of, yeah, it's, it's it's cool. We can chat, but we're we're not in that process of being open to new initiates at the moment. Yeah, I also want to note it's interesting um, your point about like who's not on the list. So I, a couple of my seekers, we were talking about some of the local the local pagan scene, people who are like relatively well known in the scene, and they're like, oh, I've never seen that. I've never seen those names. I've never seen that coven on any of the on any of the lists, you know, like why? And I was like, oh, because they're not open to seekers right now or because like they're doing their own thing right now or they're working on outreach in a different way or, or because, you know, because drama or because people don't want to vouch for them or what, you know, whatever the reason. There, there are a multitude of reasons that people aren't, aren't listed right now or people aren't open right now, particularly like literally right now in the pandemic. So, you know, again, just check you know, with a politely worded note to moderators to try and get background information if you're trying to connect with somebody and you're not sure how best to do that. So I think that just about brings us to the end of this episode, guys. So today we discussed vouching. We discussed everything to do with the voucher. We discussed what it means to be a, a proper person, properly prepared. We discussed the differences between authenticity and legitimacy and what were the differences between vouching, confirming and recommending. Um, we've mentioned 
where seekers can go to get um, a vouch, also where to get initiates in, in the cover. And we very briefly discussed secret handshakes and passcodes and how they link to us as Alexandrian witchcraft practitioners and the wider BTW community. So with that, thank you very much for listening. Everybody, merry meet, merry part, and merry meet again. <laughs>